How are you doing? I am better than most. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Coming off of a uh, board meeting, so he's uh, very happy to be here. Oh, with gosh. Board meeting, end of the quarter, and we're still grinding away, Randy. Nice. All right. Yeah. Love it. Um, so for those who don't know, Mitch Breen is uh, the Chief Revenue Officer and EVP of Worldwide Field Operations at Infoblox, a uh, fantastic private high-flying company that you will uh, hear more about. And uh, today's uh, episode is sponsored by Emissary. Emissary is a human intelligence network. They provide sellers and marketers access to inside insights on their most important accounts so they can open new opportunities, accelerate deals, and expand existing partnerships. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about Emissary later on. And uh, for the uh, headline today, Mitch is uh, going pretty sophisticated. The uh, title is Discipline in Leadership Operating Cadence. So mm -hmm. certainly lots of uh, great, great information in there. So uh, Mitch, to kick off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, professional background? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't do my personal lead-in. So sorry about that. So I've known Mitch back from uh, when I had hair like him. We both were uh, early, early on at EMC. Um, he stayed uh, a lot longer than I did, I think uh, 26 and a half years or so, but um, always was uh, as an individual contributor. We both were, were in those seats, uh, always a top performer, then obviously uh, escalated up, up fast within the EMC ranks, held several executive roles was always very hands-on. People always loved working for him. He's been a great recruiter anywhere where he goes, has a fantastic loyal following, very partner-centric, very in touch with customers, and just kind of all-around all good guy. So, uh, Mitch, feel free to disagree. But anyway. Yeah, well, how can I? I mean, the, the money I sent you is paying off. I love it. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, all right. So now let's go into, t tell us a bit about your professional background. Okay, so uh, professional, you know, I'd be remiss. Uh, we talked to a lot of professionals uh, and, and we all start off. So what do you do? I, I, I would like to bring everyone up to speed, you know, uh, married of uh, 28 years uh, with go. my wife. And uh, we just got a small place here in Charleston. Uh, we, we live in Boston. Uh, I've got three grown kids now, Randy. So Two are out of the house. One is uh, a sales professional at an email security company. So a lot to talk about around the dinner table. I've got one that's uh, in the investment banking industry down in Manhattan. And I have one who is a, um, a junior at University of Georgia Bulldogs, national champions. So um, that is on the, on the personal side. Professional side, Randy, um, you know, here's the, here's the overview. Uh, it was early on at a at a company called EMC, you know, a couple hundred employees. I had the opportunity to spend 26 unbelievable years there um, from individual contributor all the way up to, you know, at one point chief of staff to the, the vice chairman, lots of different uh, roles that I had the opportunity to take on, um, but mostly sales, sales management. And uh, it was an incredible learning experience uh, I'll take the luck of the draw any day. Didn't know the difference between hardware and software the day I graduated University of Massachusetts and landed at a, what somebody called was a tech company. Uh, but again, hard work, luck, preparation. Uh, I had the ability to watch a company transform from about 30 million to I left uh, 26 years later, knocking on the door of uh, 20 billion. So learned a lot of things what to do 
and I learned a lot of things what not to do. And hopefully I've taken some of those things on the next, you know, life cycle that I've been since EMC, Randy. Um, I've, uh, I've gone to work for three startups. And here's what I can tell you. Um, you know, VC-backed startups, uh, uh, some very little revenue to growing, uh, to growing that there. But here's what I can tell you. As good an operator as I thought I was coming out of a place like, like EMC was, um, having been uh, and done three startups, uh, I am much more passionate. I believe my operational uh, efficiencies and effectiveness have become exponentially better after doing those experiences. And, and one of the things that, that um, I'm sure the, uh, the teams can appreciate is when you go back uh, from a 40,000 person organization to back to less than 100, uh, yeah. You are cheap cook and bottle washer. Uh, there is no margin uh, for failure. There's no margin to get things wrong. Everything from hiring, recruiting, enabling, uh, everything that you do, messaging, you just, you can't get it wrong. There's no margin of error. So your operational effectiveness, as good as you thought it was, has to be that much better. And after that, so now I'm um, um, I'm at a, a PE back company, Randy. We can get into that in, in a little bit called Infoblocks, and uh, it's uh, what I call a mid cap growth type company. So that's uh, catch you up. It's great. So uh, certainly t tons of experience and uh, learnings at EMC, as you uh, alluded to. Uh, any things you could share? You're talking about what uh, I'm sure a lot of people know what, what's good to do, but what did you learn learn along the way in terms of what not to do? Uh, don't put your foot in your mouth. <laughs> no, I, I, I think what not to do is um, uh, make quick assessments, quick judgments. Um, what not to do is not take enough of debate and um, uh, not to take input um, from from the team, um, not to be closed to new ideas and opportunities, um, not to just stay focused on 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 the teams that you've built internally, um, but open up your aperture a little bit in terms of what's possible and what talent is outside of uh, your peripheral vision. So. Um, and then learn to have a bit of patience. So people have asked Randy, you know, how's my own particular leadership style changed from back in the day to almost where it is now? And, and I'm sure you can appreciate this. It's kind of gone from that, maybe you'd call it command and control back in the day mm -hmm. when I was a less experienced uh, leader to now it's much more paternalistic, right? Uh, a much better way of understanding how to uh, kick somebody in the butt and pat them on the back and have them feel good about, you know, the conversations that you've had with them. So, you know, a little bit change in leadership styles, just based on experience. Yeah. So a little bit more sympathetic and empathetic. A little bit more empathetic, right? There you go. Um, all right, we got a question from Jesse. So uh, just a reminder for those watching along uh, at home or office or car, wherever you are listening along, um, you can go in the comments section in LinkedIn and post your uh, questions in there and uh, we will get to them and we have a uh, Tucker behind the scenes helping us. So uh, jumping in here, Jesse asks, should SDRs automate their job? Um, 
Specifically, uh, Jesse, thanks for the question. Not sure exactly what you're referring to, but we, we, do, we do have uh, uh, BDRs. Um, I believe automation can help drive efficiencies and effectiveness at, at almost anything. So um, if you can automate the, the use of, of uh, information and data that's provided to them so that they can um, um, have more tools at their hand, absolutely. Can they be more productive in their mission in their goals and objectives? Uh, yeah. Uh, using bots, that's probably, uh, as Jesse asked about, probably not my area of expertise. And I'd hate to pontificate on something that wasn't my area of expertise or subject matter. Yeah, but, but I'd imagine probably from a ICP, ideal customer profile, you are kind of pretty focused in terms of the personas that you want to sell to. You make sure that the BDRs kind of have those and you've got kind of different talk tracks and mail campaigns and things that you're doing in terms of reach outs to that ICP, correct? Sure. Uh, you know, we, we've got a new CMO um, that was a long time at Akamai and then Carbon Black. His name is Brad Ranklin, and he's bringing a lot of that uh, next generation marketing and buying persona tools and technology uh, uh, to, to us at Infoblox over the past, uh, you know, six months or so. So we're excited to you know learn more about how that can be more effective. Great. All right. Well, thanks, Jesse. And again, for uh, any others, feel free to ask questions and we will get to them. So um, all right. Tell us uh, a bit more about uh, Infoblox. All right, Randy, what do you want to know? OK, so um, look, we are a, uh, a high tech company. We are a typical you know tech company in which we eradicate complexity, uh, we improve time to value, provide unique insights to our constituents so that they can uh, make better decisions. You know, we lower operational expenses in human capital, typical framework of IT software infrastructure or SaaS company. Um, we, um, you know, we help automate what the network and, and security professionals do day in and day out. As I said before, we are a private equity owned company, uh, uh, Vista and Warburg, two top tier private equity companies. We are a mid cap, we we'll call it mid cap growth type company. And uh, we're in a bit of transformation, which I'll get to. So, um, so what, you know, what does Infoblox do? Um, so, let me let me try and start with your uh, what I call your parents' definition. So if I had to go home and and my folks thankfully are, are are still alive and kicking, how do I describe to my folks what I do for a living and what my company does for a living? So I tell them we're um, we're like a, a digital address book or we're a translator. So like an app on your cell phone for your contacts. So Randy, you take out your cell phone. You get your cell phone, right? If you take your cell phone and I said to you, okay, call me, dial my number. I'm, I'm sure you, 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 know, you have 500 contacts. You must know my number by heart. And the answer is probably, no, of course not. I just say, hey, Siri, uh, call Mitch Breen. Or I would say, right. uh, hey, Google, call Mitch. So what it does is you've got something that translates a name to, to a number. So, all right, so now we're getting what kind of what Infoblox does. So um, everything that is online, any device, whether it's a phone, your laptop, a servers, web servers, anything, Nest devices in your house, they all have something called an IP address. And we've, if you're in the tech industry, you know what an IP address is. 
but typically what you would want to do is you just say um if you went on to linkedin and you wanted to search for randy seidel or you wanted to google something about mitch breen you're doing a what's called a dns you're doing a query and what you do what happens behind the scenes is somebody has to translate the name i just want to do a google query on randy seidel behind the scenes they have to convert that to saying okay, this IP address needs to talk to an IP address. And that's called a DNS. That's called a domain name system. And domain name system is something that this company has been a market leader in and almost inventing this 20 something years ago. So what I like to say is we're kind of the automated digital address book of anything that's online. And every query that's ever done they have a digital footprint, right? And whether it's a server or whatever it is, um, these digital footprints are out there everywhere. And um, in order to do all this at scale, imagine trying to keep track of all these IP addresses and do all that. So, you know, you would need as you're scaling enterprises, you never want this system to go down or you couldn't talk to anybody. Um, you need it to scale to be enterprise in terms of scalability and performance. And hey, we'd love to automate it. And that's what Infoblox does for a living. And that's how customers deploy us today. And, and because everything is connected and everything has an IP address, it's like a fingerprint, right? And mm -hmm. now because we know all the fingerprints that are out there, this data is really valuable to security professionals. So if you have a security event, you've got to go back, those security, uh, those security professionals need to go back and say, what was this? Was, I need the IP address. Where was this from? I think we had a malicious attack. A company like Infoblox and their customers, we have all that information. It's like a gold mine, right? So, so from a selling, it sounds not, your 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 sales team they kill me but sounds like a pretty easy sale <laughs> uh so um articulated the right way um yeah our uh, our tam is pretty significant our tam is everything from the largest global accounts across the world to even um i'd say smaller mid-sized enterprises and uh when these mid-sized enterprises or anybody that needs to automate uh, and become more effective and efficient with your, what you call these DDI services, they look to a company like, like Infoblox. And we have, we're the market leader. We have you know, over 50% share in, in what we do today from that perspective. So um, yeah, you get to the right people, articulate the value proposition. It's not that difficult to, uh, to get people to understand why we exist and, and, and how we can impact the business. So is this CISO, the main kind of decision-making exec or kind of who do you sell to? Yeah, so that's a great, uh, great question. So DNS, this DDI stuff and IP address management that we were talking about, that typically had sat on the, on the network side of an enterprise uh, for years and years. Uh, but because all this information is so valuable, to the security professional if there's a malicious attack. And by the way, Randy, the um, CISA, which is the Cybersecurity Infrastructure um, Center in the federal government, 
Um, they'll tell you that 92% of all malicious attacks today are leveraging this thing called DNS. So they're going right to the source and kind of going behind these firewalls and stuff. So yeah, this, this information is real important. We're having, and, and now we have a security offerings, portfolio products that layer on top of our traditional, I'll call it mature legacy business. And who better to know and understand all this DNS information than the market leader? And yeah, so, so we that's have kind of typical, products. typical cross sell up sell opportunity then to the same folks. That that that's exactly right. And, yeah. and by the way, um, you know, there's nine thousand security companies on uh, out there. You've had a lot of them on your your, your podcasts and webcasts. Um, they love to get access to our customers' the DDI information. So yeah. what we actually do is, you know, for, for my for the folks out there, give me a call. Um, we're continuing to partner and through open API, APIs um, that everyone is familiar with. You can help um, your own customers and we can port to lots of your you know, security software out there today. They need access to this information. And we have we're a niche player. You know, security is a has a plethora of offerings. Um, and we are, our strategy at Infoblocks is we're not going to be a player that has all the offerings. We're going to be best of read in, in what we do. And uh, we think that's, um, um, for us, that's the, the best way for us to go to market. Well, that's great. Definitely impressive. So as I think I started off, sounds like an easy sell to me. But anyway, um, <laughs> so you've been around, uh, obviously. What about, can you talk about the differences with PE, where you are with, with two great um, you know, uh, uh, PE companies versus kind of working for a VC-backed company? Yeah. Uh, so this is, as, as we, I was, we were chatting, this is my first go at uh, private equity-backed companies. And, uh, you know, I've been with, uh, small and large uh, public companies and the way they're run on a quarterly basis. And, and you know, you've got, a, you've got uh, to forecast a Wall Street and you've got, uh, you know, no surprises. Qu 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 quarterly, or, quarterly or monthly? <laughs> well, you know, at least quarterly, right? And then you've got, you know, VC companies that are, are interested in growth, but typical VC-backed companies, they're, they're one of many, right? And, and that's the, the nature of a venture capitalist business. They, they sprinkle, I call it sprinkle the infield, right? And if one out of 10 hit, that, that's a, a great outcome for them. A private equity-backed company um, is a little bit different. And the board, the board is based on their, their ownership. And they don't continuously raise money. Um, they buy a company and they try and grow that company. And they'll either have an exit on the private markets or they'll sell to a strategic and uh, repay their investors that way. Or they you know, sell to another private equity company. But here's what I've loved so far about it. Right. There's there's um, the owners really want to help. They they're just there to meet with you to figure out how they can help you do better. If there are gaps that they're missing, they're not out there for gotchas. And no offense to, to, to public company board members that might be out there, but I've I've worked with a lot of them, and sometimes those board meetings are around a lot of gotchas, right? I've presented at board meetings, and they're looking yeah. to, to to you know stump the chump, so to speak. You know, in a private equity company, um, there's some decent operators, and they're financial wizards, and they're just there to help. And so it's been a pleasure 
to be part of, you know, two of the best organizations so far. Do you find with the PE investors, there's maybe a longer term view because so many VCs are under pressure to kind of mark up what's the what's the value. And then they're just worried about the next fund where PEs kind of a little bit more stable around all that. Well, look, they're 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 buying more stable companies. They've been in the marketplace for a while, and they they understand where they can leverage and drive growth. Uh, I mean, if you look at the typical turn on a private equity company, it's usually three to five years, uh, and that is uh, that is a tried and true model for most. You know, I'd say you know three to five years for uh, most of their modeling in their companies. And they, they look for the right companies to buy and execute their models. And, and some have rigorous operational and financial models. Yeah. And some they look to hire professionals that have, um, they have executed in the past. Got it. And um, right. by chance, I think I asked uh, Keith's question. So uh, Keith, thanks. Uh, uh, Keith Milano says, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, how much of a difference from working for PE versus public? So I think you handled that. So thanks. Yeah, from Don Turner. Freedom. Don, uh, we have with 50% plus market share, how do you keep the new logo growth going, especially with <laughs> Azure and others, I believe, in the space? Uh, any used IBM drives laying around you can sell for an old system 30. I think we can get out. Uh, we should be able to get Jim Florentine to uh, give us some yes. guardians he probably has sitting around. Yes. Sometimes I don't know if these uh, these podcasts are just the uh, legacy of uh, a thousand uh, folks that have uh, been part of, uh, you know, the EMC legacy over the year. But uh, Don, great to see you, Keith. Uh, great to hear from you as well. Um, yeah, with with 50 percent share. Um, how do we focus on new logos? So, um, so when I say 50% share, 50% share is for those that have moved from doing nothing, I'd say, to deploying, I'll call it an, an enterprise-wide uh, DDI um, infrastructure of what we have. So there's tons of TAM out there that are still running conventional ways. And they haven't still yet made the the move to all right. I'm going to consolidate. I need automation. I needed scale. I need to reduce the burden on what we're doing. So there's still plenty of TAM out there for us to capture. And as as we go to market, um, you know, looking for those ways to capture more mind share, whether through partners, whether through you know um, uh, alliances like an Azure, or whether it's through traditional channels and alliances. Um, there's still plenty of opportunity to, to capture our fair share. And as, as you know, uh, our fair share is 100%. 100%. Right? That should bring back memories. Absolutely, for sure. Uh, all right, Tucker, you want to pull another one up here? Uh, we got here, let's see. So uh, from Roberto. Uh, Mitch, I worked for a Vista equity company, Aptio, and became very familiar with Vista's playbook. Can you comment on where you and Infobox are in that journey and any lessons from the process? Great yeah, question. Good, good question, Roberto. Uh, great to hear from you. Um, Roberto and I spent a lot of time together, especially in, in Puerto Rico. Tu hablas espanol was everything he taught me. Uh, so the playbook. 
um, again, I'm uh, three, three. I measure my life in quarters, right? I was with one company for 104 quarters. This is my uh, third quarter with this company here, and it's a Vista Equity company. They do have a playbook. Um, we've rolled out some of their playbook around sales methodologies, around uh, financial metrics. But quite frankly, I could tell you, I've been um, given the freedom uh, to do what um, I believe is in the best interest of, of the shareholders, which is right now our, our owners, uh, whether it be driving different types of operational cadence, uh, hiring best practices, uh, enablement best practices. Do I leverage their, some of their models and, and some of their team members and their operating partners? I do, uh, but I feel I've got a, a wide berth to take what I've learned over you know, my 35 years and, and a, apply it to the mission at hand. So um, really happy about it. Yeah, that's great. All right, good uh, good chatter there, great questions. So uh, again, keep keep them coming and we'll get to them as they, as they pop up. So um, back on InfoBlock, so if you are talking to a recruit who maybe has a bunch of other great offers or is at a great company <laughs> now and very comfortable, kind of what's your pitch? Yeah, so so simple. I try and simplify everything. So I would look at us in um, what I call the four T's: um, technology, TAM, timing, and team. And the pitch there is, from a technology perspective, while we are a market leader and we are uniquely differentiated compared to anything else out there in our market leading offerings, um, we're also uh, not opposed to disrupting ourselves, and that really excites me. Uh, yeah. What do I mean by that? So, you know, the company's been on a transformation for about three to four years. Um, four years ago, we were focused on being an appliance-led company, and then we are then went to a software only in you know TCV, and then moving to subscription on-prem software. And we're turning the corner on our final journey to disrupt ourselves from on-prem software to be offering these DDI uh, enterprise cloud uh, services in the cloud. So, you know, it takes two to three years from R&D and engineering uh, perspective, and we're disrupting ourselves. So now our customers are going to have choice, and we'd rather disrupt ourselves than having some startup come in and saying, hey, all that stuff InfoBlox does on-prem, we can offer that as a cloud service. And as we know, more and more companies would much rather deploy these services today in the cloud rather than continuing to do all the same things they've done on-prem. So from a technology perspective, it's really exciting. It's uniquely differentiated and we're disrupting ourselves. So if you want to be part of that journey, you know, give me a call. Um, and then I'd say in portfolio uh, perspective, uh, as the market um, and as, you know, the world is becoming more digital and more, um, more devices are online that continues to open up our TAM. So the second T is TAM. We've got a significant TAM today and it's only growing. Thinking about all the online devices that a company or a person would have today versus 10 years ago, it's growing exponentially. So the need to, to protect, secure, manage and operate all those continues to increase our TAM. So you wanna come in, you want a lot of people to sell to, you wanna be able to hit quota, there's a lot of market opportunity. Timing, hey, look at um, the way I look at it. Uh, sometimes you can be too late, and sometimes you can be too early. 
certainly this this marketplace isn't too late you know we've got cool technology big yeah. tam oh the timing is is continues to be right for us and we're certainly not too late we're, we're leading the market still as it's morphing and changing and the last thing is team um and the team i would say is the culture um the go-to-market culture and uh, if you like you know um you like me it's the type of culture you know you're, you're gonna see and get right it's gonna um we're looking for desire and unconditional commitment um it's a culture of excellence and accountability there and you go. so can, uh, can, can i add in fifth fifth t T. Sure. Uh, how, how about treasure? I mean, from uh, what you said, it sounds like people are overperforming and uh, ahead of uh, OTE. <laughs> yeah, look at the. So, you know, we always take a look at um, the performance in, in OTE. So, for the past three years, um, uh, teams have continued to excel on their OTE. I think last year we paid out uh, 127% of, of commissions and 115% of all additional bonuses. So people are making a lot of money. Um, and uh, you know, my, my general philosophy that I learned a long time ago was uh, uh, if you pay the best, you should expect the, the, the best in flawless execution. So if you're willing to work and strive for flawless execution, I'll make sure that you're getting paid the best too. Excellent. There you go. All right. Got it. Got an extra T for you. All extra right. Tucker, tea. looks Treasure. like we have from uh, Austin. Uh, what do you see as the most valuable skill that reps need to develop to be successful in the modern software sales landscape? Has it changed at all over the last 10 years or so? Absolutely. Uh, what things should folks leave behind and what new muscles should we be working on? Uh Look at I I think um, the 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 changes that I've seen and I don't know if, if if you're familiar with you know kind of the challenger sales model that's one of the models that that I look at um, uh, I believe that um, the old types of relationship building skill sets maybe from 10 15 20 years ago have to have morphed into driving significant value how can you save money make money and, and gain a competitive advantage if you're not challenging um no. your right, rest in peace jeff goldberg yes it is right it, and it it's ever you know more present today right uh i i think you you have to dig even deeper today as a, a skilled software sales or infrastructure salesperson to really find out their in, in, intrinsic pain and understanding if you solve something here, how can it affect the business? And unless you're really digging deep into understanding that, you know, you're one of, like I said, 9,000 security sales reps calling on, you know, the SecOps team. So if you can't clearly and quickly articulate what you do for a living can impact what they do for a living, you're, you're going to get washed out. And I, I think also sticking to a, a methodology and a process and a recipe that works. Um, you can't be, you know, if I reference Challenger, the lone wolves of the past are, are only as good as they're good. And the lone wolves of the past just, I haven't seen them turning the corner over the past, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah, when we had uh, Kevin Haverty on, and he uh, wrote, wrote my book about the uh, there's no room for the lone wolf at uh, ServiceNow. So, mm -hmm. uh, so certainly a lot of differences there. 
lot of different technology, but I'd say some things that have not changed that, you know, I still see not executing anywhere near what they should, you know, for you said, um, kind of generating re revenue, save money, compliance, things like that. I mean, to me, that's a value selling pitch. And I always say, which is, you know, how we're trained. Okay. If you're in the elevator with the CFO and you got 20 or 30 seconds, what are you going to say? And it's not a bunch of technical mumbo jumbo. That's so right. your point in terms of, you know, how do you differentiate on the security side? And then it's kind of funny. I always laugh. I know your take is, but you know, these different sales methodologies is basically the same stuff we always did. Just people like smarter than us were able to monetize, you know, kind of putting a method behind the madness, right? Yeah. Look, if I had uh, a year to spend time and and um, consolidate all the stuff, maybe that that we've collected over over the years, right. sure, I could probably monetize that. But I'm in, you know, we're in an operating role, and. Uh, yeah, we can bring in a few consultants and, and you know, 99% of them are going to tell us what we know. But what they really do is they package it up for us to right. drive into a recipe and an operating cadence. And I'm not opposed to bringing in consultants that can help me do that. They're probably not going to tell us a great deal, a great deal of what we don't already know. Um, but I would really love for people to come in and, and have data and information that I don't know how to compare and contrast what we're doing versus what others are doing, sharing those best practices and really having real data um, at their fingertips that can help on the mission that we're on. There you go. And we have um, one of our sales community sponsors, Alexander Group. We're doing, I think, a quarterly kind of invite only Zoom, which yeah, obviously you'd, you'd be part of, but kind of helping around some of those. And I know you've, uh, we didn't talk in the prep, but you know, kind of the cohort groups, you know, sharing some of these best practices and uh, things like that. And then uh, two other hot buttons. I don't know what your, what your thoughts are, but the thing that, you know, still with clients that I'm working with, you know, the two lost arts, I think, is doing an agenda, you know, especially where you're going to be doing Zoom and online for who kind of who's going to be saying what, because too many times you get to the end of the kind of whatever the allocated time is and they didn't get through anything and then they never set a follow up meeting. Does that piss you off? Well, that's uh, action, you know, action oriented, right? Yeah. What's the next step? What's the action? Actually, it's probably one of the things I learned from Randy years and years ago. Um, you know, not to, you know, blow smoke on you, but uh, Randy, you were always real good at next steps, next steps. What's the next action? Where do we go from here? Uh, you drilled it into your pen and paper. You, you wore them out. You went through, you know, I was on the first sales call I was ever on with you. Uh, I think you went through two notepads uh, and you, you continue to finish on next steps and action items. And it's something I've at least taken from, from you for the past 30 years. There you go. But I mean, so thank you very much. But to Austin's point, there's still a lot of, you know, the, the old traditional stuff. And then last thing too, is like the, the recap notes, right? Where it takes like, you know, I would say you shouldn't go to sleep until you do the recap notes from the day. And it seems like, you know, the, you know, in, English language is, is kind of a lost art. I mean, what, what a better way to lay out kind of, you know, to your point in terms of next steps, where you're at, what's going on and what you're going to do to make sure everybody's aligned. Do you see that also yeah. as a gap? today um, i i do see it as significant i actually see the gap in in um i'll call it go-to-market leadership right some of these best practices that we might have taken for granted uh that muscle memory uh is something that can get lost in great times what do i mean by great times so uh, you know there, there's a few different sales motions and i think that the the um, the team out here would agree right there's there's driving acquisition and new logos 
Um, there's um, driving portfolio products. And then there's things called like tech refresh, right? And I think we can all agree that tech refreshes are probably the easiest out of three. And right. if your business is based on that, sometimes you lose that muscle memory right. of those those things that we just talked about, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anyway, uh, Austin, thanks for the question. Others keep them coming. So from uh, Paula, we have, how are using channel partners as uh, part of your strategy? Uh, <laughs> I think it's about uh, 100%, right? Well, we, yeah, we look at, we transact 100% through, through channel. And I know lots of companies that can say, we use channels 100%. And so we do, we track, transact 100% through the channel. But like any company like ours, there's a spectrum of, of value add, right? There's sometimes we use them for procurement and contracts and a little bit more on fulfillment. And sometimes we use them all the way for you know, demand generation and uh, deal source. And sometimes we use them to augment our own technical skill sets or maybe they are experts in an application area that, that we're not. So they, we use channels for a whole different variety of reasons. Um, sometimes we use the channel for a, um, a market segment. So I might use some specific channels for whether it's a, the Fed segment or state and local government uh, or financial, uh, financial industry. Uh, but we at, at Infoblox, they're an, an incredibly important part of our ecosystem, and we're not done. I mean, we're always refining of what we're doing, and uh, we're trying to build that motivated, loyal, and self-sufficient partner ecosystem. And it's all about leverage. Um, you know, I could go on and talk about, you know, the, the channel for for a long time, but uh, in general, they, we, they're a... They're a um, they're a necessity for us. Our business is go. based on. And our- uh, I know you have lots of experience, but uh, c- certainly lots of uh, interesting times and up and ups and downs. Uh, when you're at EMC, you had the uh, De- Dell partnership. So uh, basically, you'd say the reason for the sales because of you, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't go go that far, but uh, look at if somebody's going to send me a check, I'll take it. There you go. And uh, in case you didn't see it, Andre Yanni, uh, crazy how this just popped up. Hey there, Yanni, feel free to ask a uh, question. So let's um, get to Andre, your uh, uh, t- title topic here. Uh, Discipline, leadership and operating cadence. Um, so wh- why is this operating cadence such a uh, passion for you? Yeah, great, great question. And, and, and it is, you know, I started to say, you know, coming out of my, you know, 26 years at EMC, thought I was an operator, then having to go and and, and help um, uh, build, you know, companies from scratch. Uh, I found that the operating cadence was crucial to, to, to success. But I, I've done some um, little bit of my own research, um, you know, over the past 10 years. And I've, um, I've talked to about 100 CEOs. And I've asked almost every one of them, I said, talk to me, tell me why um, you've, you've top graded, nice way to, you've moved out, you've fired your head of go-to-market, your CRO, um, your head of sales in the past. You know, give me the top reasons why you've replaced your head of sales. And here's what I can tell you, Randy, it's come down to you know, three main things. Um, number one was all around their, their inability to have or create a sense of urgency. 
in almost everything that they do. Um, one other one. Uh, I, I think Walter Brown, rest in peace, would call it a fatal flaw. <laughs> fatal flaw, like, right? Hello. Yes, right? Uh, but you'd be surprised. Uh, and when I, I've talked to all types of CEOs from, you know, guys like Eve Joe Tucci to a Michael Dell to, you know, Ali Gozzi at Databricks and, and everyone in between, I, I asked them, so um, why have you replaced your, so that, that was the sense of urgency. Because I didn't want to replace myself. A long time. Right. Uh, another one that's, that's similar to that, but it was real specific, was um, they didn't hire or fire fast enough. Yeah. Right? They got too close to the team and they, they left pipeline uncovered. They left quota uncovered. They just couldn't hire fast enough. Related a little bit about sense of urgency. And the third one, Randy, it came down to was undisciplined or no process. And yeah. to me, undisciplined and no process is all around operational cadence. Um, but I will tell you one thing that I haven't heard is uh, they've never said, um, I, I top graded my head of sales because they weren't a subject matter expert in SaaS or security or networking. But it's funny how we think about our, our hiring profiles. So go look at your hiring profiles today for your you know, your sales leadership and nine out of 10 of them have, we're looking for an experienced SaaS leader in security, but, and you know what? The scorecard lacks in real specifics around operational cadence and operational discipline. And you can even think about underneath, um, you know, your CRO first line, second line leaders, you know, why did you top grade them? Those of you that are, you know, sales leaders out there a lot of it comes down to this operational cadence and operational yeah. discipline. So it's a passion of mine, right? Yeah. The, um, uh, j just thinking there, uh, you know, some of the great mentors that we had with uh, Frank Keeney on the whole lot, you know, hiring and firing. And, uh, you know, he's probably one of the best, which is more, not just much hiring and firing. A lot of people thought EMC had a reputation for shooting, but it's really more of, you know, I think, having a, a good process, talking about the process side in terms of developing people, having them know where they're at, kind of a scorecard. So, you know, if and when somebody goes on a plane or gets fired, you know, it sh should not be a surprise at all. So that's kind of very yeah. important behind that, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, driving that operational cadence, there's there's nothing left to chance, so to speak. And uh, yeah, Frank Keeney, um, again, uh, rest in peace. One of my early mentors, uh, probably 30 years ago when, 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 when I met him, uh, kind of took me personally under his wing. But, you know, a lot of my style um, has been modeled off of, of that man. And, and he was a great leader for us, Randy, at the right time in the right place. Yeah. And uh, I've still taken, <laughs> right? Uh, I've still taken a lot of what, um, what he taught me and, and, and applied it, right? Yeah. It's also interesting what you said in terms of top grading the CROs. You didn't say missing the number. So it seems like the CEOs are being thoughtful. Yeah, they may be missing the number, but it's really because of something else that's kind of under the covers that, that they're yeah. not doing. It's too easy. That's that's it. That that's one that's too easy, right? Uh, yeah. Sure. Um, the, the smarter ones know to peel underneath the cover. The smarter CEOs, the smarter boards know to peel. Oh, we're top grading because they just didn't make the number. Well, 
look at what are you going to do next time around? What are you going to interview for? Right. So that's right. that's a lot of the follow on questioning I have for them. So what's your new hiring profile looking? Uh, what are you looking for? And this a lot of times have happened when I've talked to them about opportunities. Right. Hey, Mitch, would you consider coming here as an opportunity? I always go back down to. So what was the what was the issue and concern of your last one? And right. if they came back and just said they didn't make the number, I, you'd have to peel back that that a little bit more. But but that this operating cadence, um, um, it's important today because the business is more complex. We've been talking about you know business from 10, 15 years ago. Uh, your your leadership was around um, traditional recruiting, hiring, enabling, forecasting, sales rep coaching. But now today's metrics are also about different things. Um, chur- the metrics are different. Churn and LTV and renewal rates and your portfolio products. And if you're not, if you don't have the right metrics to figure out in the right cadence to understand what your problems are, how you're going to solve them, and how do you operationalize solving for that? And maybe it is just a hiring problem. You, 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 you've got to hire it. So what is my operational cadence? How am I going to build this into my weekly, monthly, quarterly cadence? And Randy, there's, there's, there's three characteristics I've, I've been looking at lately. And, and one is yep. um, prioritize ruthlessly, defend, yep. um, defend, and reflect constantly, right? Um, yeah, I, I always find that's why I, before you could uh, have you know Wi-Fi in the planes. I mean, that's where I always did my best thinking, right? Because you didn't have anybody bothering you. You could reflect and right. you, know, you could kind of go on your own journey and you know good things to you know pop in your head, which is uh, you know hard, hard to do these days, right? Yeah, I you know some people say they hate the Wi-Fi because you you know you can't either catch a movie or read a book anymore. But you know I, I I'll do half and half, Randy. I don't go all. I don't go all in like you. I won't spend my six-hour, seven-hour flight out to California just online, especially after hours, because of course, Randy, we don't fly during business hours, right? Is that, again, another another lost art. So back to Austin. Yes, it's like I can't tell you. It's like talk about a pet peeve, but yeah, yeah. I that mean, some of the stuff when Austin, they say old school and that. old school and new school, being more empathetic, being understanding of the next generation. I get right. it. Um, but you understand where people's priorities are, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Flying yeah. during the day, it just wasn't something we even thought about doing, right? Yeah. It was it's... it was a work ethic, and yeah. uh, there's different ways to accomplish what we need to do. So, again, trying yeah, to be but it, more it was, uh, leadership too, right? So if you're a first line district managers, right, the reps are going to kind of say and do what you do. So if they're going to if a DM is going to go fly during the day to sales kickoff or whatever. That's what the reps are going to do, right? Versus the manager who does not is going to go, you know, fly off hours. Then the reps aren't going to do it. Reps are going to be more, you know, more more product, more productive, right? Randy, it's one thing that I've learned as of of taking either leadership, more leadership roles is everybody is watching you. Everybody watches what you do. And you, you, you know, when you don't think they're watching, they are watching. So everything that you know, the uh, go-to-market leaders are, and especially as you kind of climb the ladder and you're accountable for um, uh, more of the business, they're always watching. And again, one of the things I've learned what to do and not to do, well, you know, in, in, in the 35 years, 
you recognize that everybody's watching and setting example of of what you yeah. need to do and who you are because we are at this level we are the culture of our company right and you know culture still is one of the single most important things as a measure of success and and everything that i've seen in every company that um that i've been part of yeah absolutely for sure um i just got to get another plug here for uh, emissary before i forget so um kind of they've got a whole uh a bunch of tier one uh tech companies as customers but what's uh, amazing is uh from a the most simplistic level they have a bench of uh, 9,000 ex-executives, CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, business unit executives from Fortune 1000 companies and more. So if you're trying to sell to an existing customer, they can help these people who've recently departed. I think they've got an 18-month uh, leash on them, can help tell you kind of who's who in the zoo, where you should sell to, you know, your, maybe something around your messaging. And then conversely, it's a net new account. Likewise, say, hey, where's my value prop going to resonate? So really cool company if uh, anybody wants to check them out uh, or certainly uh, reach out and ask me. Um, cool. All right, we got a cool. uh, question here from, uh, so anyway, thank you, Emissary. Uh, so yeah. from Austin, uh, many VC-backed companies will throw reps at their revenue target. For example, hire 100 reps, give them a million dollar number when the company has a $50 million target for the year and only did 25 the previous year. Why not focus on making your reps as probably productive as possible? So I guess that that would be in the spirit of uh, probably over over signing to goal, which uh, probably happened more years ago as opposed to now. But uh, what's your take? Yeah, my take is, look, at that's a that's a business model. Um, I caution people that uh, to truly understand a company's business model before embarking on, a, a, you know, it's it's your career path. It's your living. It's you know how you feed your family. So um, the business models are, um, hey, grow, 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 unmitigated, unbridled growth. And uh, I caution people to make sure that they look before they leap. Um, and it's also, you know, when you're in that situation as a, as a sales leader, we owe it to the teams to really be able to articulate the recipe for success. Um, Maybe that uh, that rep can do a million dollars and we just haven't given them the playbook to show them where the TAM is, where to go, what to say. This is all about the enablement piece of the operational cadence and discipline. How do you enable them to find everything that that's an opportunity? But look at uh, Austin, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, that is some of the business models of, of some companies. And that's why uh, respectfully. Um, uh, they need one out of 10 to hit and, and you know, VC backed companies, the venture capitalists can be successful. And uh, I'm, 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 trust me, I'm not poo pooing the opportunity to go to a VC backed company. I had a great learning experience myself, but you just got to go in asking a lot of questions and I would encourage people to do that or they can yeah. call me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you'd agree. I think we were brought up with, as a sales leader, there's a, you know, a lot of things that you can do, but I'd say number one is making sure you have a fair compensation plan because if the, whether it's individual contributors or leaders have a line of sight where they believe they can get to goal or higher, yeah. that's really what it's all about. So if you're coming yeah. in to Austin's point, if you're coming in and you say, hey, the best case I can do is 50% of goal, especially in today's hiring market, you know, those people are gonna vote with their feet in a heartbeat that's and then right. you're totally dead, right? That's right. We, we owe them a fair opportunity, a fair quota, 
and a fair compensation plan that they can meet and achieve. And we have to provide them all the resources available for them to, you know, excel. And we all know that, you know, there's nobody that wants to, uh, to either top grade or backfill people that are going to spin out. It costs us so much more money getting yeah. people up to speed and productive. So, um, I, I, I agree with Austin's perspective on that too. Great. So right. uh, we're getting toward the time here, but uh, I always like to ask about um, kind of sales tools, because certainly if you go back, you know, we had nothing back in the day. You go back, you know, five, 10 years ago, you had Salesforce and LinkedIn, and that was huge. And now there's kind of thousands of companies. I think you had mentioned um, you've got Sixth Sense, Clary, and maybe some others that you like. Can you uh, touch on that? Yeah. So uh, um, I would say that uh, post EMC, um, I've become um, much more um, appreciative of the tools that are out there. I've become much more data driven in making decisions. Uh, they they help me um, triangulate my hypotheses, but more importantly, these tools help me take action. We talked about that before. So I've become more of a personally, I've become more of a Clary Power user in the past. Um, in this endeavor, it's my first time experiencing with Clary. They can be an incredible, this can, for me is an incredibly effective tool at predictive analytics, but it still does come back, Randy, to uh, the proper operational cadence and putting the right data in into things like Salesforce. And if you don't have a methodology that you're using in standard definitions, and you're not holding the teams accountable and yeah. collaborating with them to put the data in, then the, the stuff coming out of it is worthless. So if you don't have the front end, don't buy any of them. That That's my own personal perspective and opinion. We also use Gainsight. It's a, a gain site for our um, CSM organization. Customer success, right? Because yeah. it, it uh, yeah, customer success organization. It takes feeds from lots of places and puts them into a format that they, customer success, can take action. We know our adoption rates and whether a company is going to renew. So there's a couple tools that I'm, I've um, uh, becoming more and more used to. Awesome. And then I think Sixth Sense was another one you said you used. Yeah, I, I can't, you know, uh, I'm not a power user yet on that. Uh, so, Account-based uh, marketing, I'm sure somebody will get to you about that. All yeah, right. All right. Uh, so come and, come and sell to me. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then Noor, you kind of touched on it before. Noor usually says, is there any kind of PG Randy story that you want to tell? Uh, well, I, I think, you know, I think I think I covered it a little bit here on right. my first time on a sales call it was the first time I saw somebody go through, you know, two sets of notebooks on one sales call and uh, and almost didn't look up for almost an hour straight, but was grinding that customer, asking lots of qualifying questions. And when we came to the end, I said, all right, now where's this guy going? And boom, it was follow up. So uh, I've I've got a set of, of of notebooks and notepads that I still use to this day. You're more online, but I still use the Randy Seidel notepads. There you go. All right, I got a uh, Claudia Hope. I assume that's George's uh, daughter. That's my goddaughter, in fact. Goddaughter. All right. Yes, there we it go. is. All right. This is the beginning. Yes. You got the drum roll, please, from Claudia. Yes. I see yes. a lot of people posting on LinkedIn about rep, what reps should and shouldn't be uh, opening cold calls with. What are your thoughts on opening uh, with this? Hi, this is Claudia Hope. Uh, how are you doing today? Then getting into the reason for the call versus hi, this is Claudia. <laughs> well, you can call me uh, you can call me directly, Claudia. But um, what are my thoughts on that? Well, you've you've got to introduce yourself, or 
somehow you've got to tell them you need uh, 26 seconds of their time and uh, and or um, why they should care, right? Getting um, getting as quick as possible as a as a BDR or rep on why somebody should care gets them quickly past their crock brain, whether it be through LinkedIn, whether it be a phone call. They're all types of, of, of uh, tools that you use today that I certainly didn't have access to when I was a, an inside sales or we called it a telemarketer back in my day. So um, uh, tools and techniques, uh, getting to why they should care as quick as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So again, I go back to the, uh, you know, Jeff Goldberg, if you're in the elevator, you, you, you say with the CFO, because they should be the most critical one, right? If you got 20 seconds or 10 seconds or, you know, what is it that you're going to say that's going to kind of get them, uh, get, you know, get them hooked. Everybody gets tons of emails and notes and calls and videos and all that stuff, right? So it's yeah. kind of what, what, know your what, stories, know your customers. Hey, hey, Randy, I was just talking to Don down the street, and uh, they were in a similar situation. So I thought I'd give you a call, right? Yeah. Don't even know what the situation is. Absolutely. Very good. All right. Um, sorry. So Mitch, you've been awesome. Uh, I did not get to most of the questions that we had because we had so, so many questions coming in, which we love. So, uh, thanks to all those that participated, uh, next week, uh, it's going to be episode number 63. We've got Bill Hogan, who is uh, a new CTO at beyond identity. He's, uh, been around and certainly will have lots of, uh, fantastic, uh, words of wisdom and insights. Uh, thanks to Emissaries, the sponsor. Uh, for those that are not members of Sales Community, please check us out, salescommunity.com. We actually have my uh, book on the uh, top of the website now as well. And uh, Mitch, can't thank you enough. Any uh, closing comments? Uh, smoke them if you got them. <laughs> there you go. All, all right. right. Uh, all right. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks, Tucker, for your help behind the scenes. Nice to see everybody out there.